Om Sang Saraswati Namaha. Namaste. Namaste. Uh, we left off on verse number 27 in chapter 4. It's on page 102. And we've been describing this Mahamaya, this great limitation of measurement, the embodiment of consciousness, who was totally potential energy. And then suddenly she became kinetic and she made part of herself into Shiv so that she could see herself. And the other part remained as Shakti, so she could be herself. And there she was, being and seeing. And she became, instead of Sadashiva Tattva and Shakti Tattva, she became Ardhanarishwar. And that means Ardhanari Ishwar, the Ishwar who is half female, and Ardhanar Ishwar. Oh, which means the male who is half female. Doesn't matter. So let's discuss this foremost principle, this Mahamaya, this Mul Prakriti, the root of all evolution. Pra means before, Kri means becoming, Iti means this, this Mul Prakriti, before coming, becoming this, oh, what, was she, what form did she take? And in verse 27, from this foremost principle, this mul tatwa, this, this shakti tatwa, emanates akash, which is the ether, having the subtle property in the form of the sound, which is the tanmatra, sound goes through the ether. And then comes forth vayu, air, which has the form, subtle property in the form of touch. You can feel it. You can't see it, but you can feel it. And then comes fire with the subtle property of form. Hey, you can see the fire. <laughs> you can really see it. You can feel it. You can, you can uh, hear it crackle. And then comes the water having the subtle property of taste. And that lastly comes earth having the subtle property of smell. So sound is the only quality of ether. Air possesses the two qualities of sound and touch. Fire has the three qualities of sound, touch, and form, which has been declared by the wise. The Vedas remember the four qualities of water as sound, touch, form, and taste. And earth has the five qualities of sound, touch, form, taste, and smell. And these are the five tamatras. The rase, rupe, chagande, cha, sabde, sparshe, yogini. These five are the five the five objects of sense. And these five original elements give rise to the sutra or the string or the thread of existence which is known as the linga deha. This is the subtle body. All that you perceive inside, all the concepts that we have inside are about ras, rup, sabda, sparsh, and gamma. About these five. 
And this comprises the, the essence of the subtle body, everything we think about. Now, the universal soul contains all individual souls. Just like the family contains all the individual members of the family, the universal soul contains all the universal souls, all the individual souls. And the subtle body expresses the supreme consciousness and the indivisible causal body has been in this union since the beginning of time. So there's a causal body in the universal consciousness. And that is the, perceived by the universal soul, what we call paramatma. Uh, from thence, the form of the seed of perceivable existence, which is situated within the subtle body, issues forth. So now we have the causal body as being the cause of all causes is one with the universal soul. And now coming into this individual soul, it becomes purush by union with the divisible functions of the individual as compared and contrasted with the universal. Then come forth the gross elements, shitti, aptej, morubon, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And then come the gross elements by means of the various combinations of the five original elements in the process called panchikaran, or are also known as panchakritya. Well, let's see if they go on. The process of evolving the five gross elements is now being discussed. <clears throat> Please listen to this discussion. Each of the five original elements is divided into two parts. Let me show you an element. This is an element. And now we're going to divide this element into two parts, two nice parts. And one part of each is to be set aside. So you take this one part and you set it aside. And then the, uh, the other part is again divided into four parts. One, two, three, four. So the fourth part of each is then united with the half of the four other elements different from it. And thus, each gross element is formed. So, if we say, this whole element is Earth, then we would say, Earth, half of the element is Earth, and the quarter, or the eighth, the eighth of the other half is air, water, fire, and ether. So now, it means that there is no totally contained pure element. Everything is interdependent upon each other. They are all inseparably mixed together, just like the salt in the water, just like the sattva 
Raja and Tamagunas. They are not pure elements or pure qualities in their own selves. They are dependent upon each other. So one part of each, the, the each of the air elements is divided into two, and then the one part is set aside, and the other part is divided into four. Those are four-eighths, which is one-half, if I remember my, my algebra correctly. And the other half makes a whole element, and that's the same through a true, uh, the same principle for the other four elements. Uh, and thus, each gross element is contained. It's all formed. And from this effect, the five gross elements coming into existence and manifestation, mixing themselves together with each other, the virat deho, the universal body, is formed, which is the gross body of the Supreme Soul. That is maharlok. All that is knowable. All that, uh, all that can be, all that be, uh, can be perceived as far as consciousness can extend. This is the Virat Deha, all Maharlok. Jahanalok, or Ganalok, is the, the uh, all that can be known. The Virat Deha is all that can be perceived. The universal body. And that doesn't mean just the Milky Way, and it doesn't mean just uh, our planet or the other galaxies, or it, it goes as far, as far, as far as we can extend to ad infinitum. Uh, so, uh, the, from the Sattva Guna, the pure qualities of the five elements, the ears and various organs of knowledge issue forth. So now, here we have in this Virat Deha, we have the Satagun giving birth to the five Ganindriyas, the five organs of knowledge. And from the union of the Ganindriyas, the five organs of knowledge, comes forth the Antakaran, which is the inner cause we comprised of Mon Buddhi Chitta and Ahamkar, which was mind intelligence, recollection, and ego. Remember, mind was subjective thought, all the adjectives and adverbs of our experience. And buddhi was objective thought, all the nouns and verbs of experience. Chitta was the totality of thought, the subject of it plus the objective. And ego is me, who is thinking these thoughts, I am perceiving cogito ergo sum, I think therefore I am, and therefore that's my ego, this sense of individual identity. Not necessarily I'm the big egotist, I am, but that's another story. Uh, yeah, but the sense of ego in that I am separate from you, I'm different, there is a duality. Now that's how we are using the term ego that this individual, this bhakti, this individual form is separate and divisible and in duality, and there is a different separate individual form somewhere else in the room. Now, this inner cause, this antakaran, is divided into four modifications according to its various functions. Now, when engaged in forming shankalpa, 
a firm determination or a definition of an objective, a goal, a path, a, a, a positive affirmation. And because doubts or value judgments, it is known as the mind, the mind or subjective knowledge. Mind makes a sankalpa. I want to go there. This is desirable to me. I prefer that outcome to this outcome. When it contemplates objective knowledge free from doubt, it is called buddhi, or the intellect or objective knowledge. And when it arrives at a decisive conclusion, nishandeho, free from all hesitation regarding the objective for which it has searched, it is called chitta or the objects of consciousness, both subjective and objective knowledge. And when it is, its modifications make it contemplate, I am the doer, it is called ahamkar, ego, the sense of I. So here is our antakaran, the four aspects, mon, buddhi, chitta, and ahamkar. Now, if the, the Satvaguna gave birth to the Ganindriyas, the Rajagunas of the five elements gave birth to the Karmindriyas, the organs of action. And those are the Jiha, tongue, pani, hands, the feet, payu, anus, upashta, the organs of generation. And the union of these gave birth to the five pranas, panchabayu. Prana, apana, dhyana, udana, samana. Uh, the, the five vital breaths, the vital airs, the winds or the life force, inhalation, exhalation, equilibrium, udana rising, and dhyana diffusing or expelling or an involuntary expulsion of air. So this prana resides in the heart, apana in anus, Samana resides in the navel, Udana resides in the throat, and Bhyana resides pervading throughout the body. Five are the number of Gyanindriyas, the organs of knowledge. Five are the number of Karmindriyas, the organs of action. Five are the number of vital airs like Prana, Apana, Bhyana, Udana, Samana. And these hold and support the mind. Oh, we went through this very clearly in our Tatwagyan class. Now, thus, my Shukshma Sharia, this subtle body, arises and is called my Linga or Linga Deho, the subtle characteristics. It is there that Prokriti resides. Her dominion is divided into two parts. One, Maya is the soul of true existence, and the other is mixed with knowledge and qualities. It is declared that whoever takes refuge in her, she protects them as a mother, Maya. So Maya is the mother, Maya is the measurement, Maya is the embodiment, Maya is the illusion, and if we take refuge in Maya, she protects us like Maya. So one maya is the soul of true existence, that's the maya Vedanta. 
And one Maya is the divine mother who gives refuge to her children. And that's the Maya of Srima. And all the other mothers. The supreme consciousness reflects this Maya and thus reflects all existence. And thus he is called Ishwar, who, he who perceives all, Ish, to see, to perceive, to grok. He doesn't only see, perceive through the senses, but he sees through the inner eye. He perceives with the eyes of intuition on the gross level, the subtle level, and the causal level. And there is no greater wisdom than this refuge. If we take refuge in he who perceives all, this is the highest refuge. This is the refuge of Maya. He is omniscient, the performer of all action, the cause of bestowing all blessings. Oh, great mountain, remember we're telling the story to, uh, to Himalayas. Mother is describing her form to Himalayas. And Vyas is telling what Mother said to Himalayas. He's telling it all to Janamejai, who's the king. Oh, great mountain, when the ignorance of various kinds is reflected. He is known as Jiva, the individual soul or the life force which again is the repository of all pain. It hurts to be separate. Every time I break my leg, I stub my toe, I bite my lip, I have a problem no matter wherever I am. I have a problem. And this is the jiva. By the influence of vidya and avidya, knowledge and Ignorance, both Ishwar and Jiva have three bodies. These three bodies are again characterized by their three names. When the Jiva resides in the causal body, it is called Pragna. When it dwells in the subtle body, it is known as Taijas. And when it resides in the gross body as its third form, it is known as Bishwa. Now, this is the individual, the Bhakti Rup. He has three forms. He's called Pragna, he's called Taijas, and he's called Vishwa. In the same way, Ishwar is called Isha, the ruler of all, the seer of all. Sutra, the subtle thread which binds it all together. In Birat, in his causal body, subtle body, and gross body, respectively. First, remember the individual forms, and then the cosmic soul, and what is beyond. This is the actual Supreme Lord of all, who bestows upon individuals blessings and fulfillment of desires. He creates the variety of the universe, which again is the residence of various experience. Eternally compelled by my energy, he conceives my dominion. Oh. <laughs> Eternally compelled by my energy. Even if you wish to, you can't sit perfectly still. 
Krishna said, I am the Lord of all and still I am compelled to act. The energy within us makes us move. It compels us to act. Now, there are two choices and when we have to act, I can act for me or I can act for thee. Those are the two opportunities. If I act for me, I got a whole bunch of problems. I am burdened. I am carrying so many responsibilities. If I act for thee, I am a servant of God. I am working for you. Compelled by your shakti, I must act. The choice is mine. Do I want to manifest this grandeur of divinity that's come into existence through this whole process of uniting the elements and making them work together and creating this divine harmony and union of all the elements and all the tanmatras and all the, all, all the ganindriyas and karmindriyas? Do I want to harness that energy for myself? Or do I want to surrender that energy to you? It's your energy. When I think it to be my energy, I'm perplexed. When I know it to be your energy, I become the servant of circumstances and act to the greatest degree of efficiency of which I'm capable and leave the fruits to you. Om Sam Saraswati Namaha. Namaste. Let's see if there are any questions about all of this. Yes. We have a question from Srini. Hello, Mr. Srini Baba. As a sadhak, are we striving to decrease the number of thoughts? Or are we striving to watch them in a detached manner? <clears throat> Srini Baba, as we watch them without attachment, or with lesser and lesser degrees of attachment, we decrease the thoughts. The process of decreasing the thoughts is focusing on the thought of you. And if I think about you only, there's no room for the other thoughts to come in. They knock on the door and Swami says, I'm otherwise engaged. Please come back another time. And after some time, Sri Baba, they get tired and they go away and they don't come back. So the process of... I, I, paying attention to the one thought most beloved is the process the same as eliminating the other thoughts. They work hand in hand. Yes, please. Can I ask a follow-up on that? Yes, you can. So, does that mean thinking about God in any way? I could be thinking, oh, the Divine Mother is so nice, or any thought? Any thought. As many thoughts as we have about what I'm doing, and why I'm doing it, and where I'm doing it, and how it's going on. I'm building Mother's website, and I'm doing it for the ashram, because that supports Mother in order to propagate her teachings, and in order to empower us to continue this tradition. And here I am, a cog in the wheel of antiquity, and I feel good about my contribution to this world. I'm making a valuable contribution to this world and I feel good about my participation and she will take care of the rest. 
All I have to do is understand that I'm thinking about the efficiency of my actions and the love with which I'm doing them and the, the, the goal of pleasing and supporting and amplify and edifying the, the ashram of the Divine Mother to share her wisdom. Now that's very different from having the, the, the alarm go off in the morning and say, Oh, Vishnu. <laughs> I'm picking up your plow and plowing the fields all day long and beating that oxen and saying in the night, oh, Vishnu. <laughs> A little bit different. <laughs> and remember, Vishnu said, Narad, that is my greatest devotee. And Narad said, what do you mean? He said, oh, Vishnu, when he went out all day and worked, and he came home at night, he put his plow down, he was exhausted, he plopped down, popped a cold one and sat <laughs> from the boob tube and said, oh, Vishnu, how can he be your greatest devotee? Vishnu said, Narad, I'm giving you a glass of milk. One glass of milk, it's full to the brim carry it around this field and bring it back to me. Don't spill a drop. If you spill it, I won't drink it. And Narad took the glass and he started walking around the field, watching very carefully, where he, and watch out for that rock. And he was going to walk very, very cautiously. And there's a little ditch there. I better be careful not to trip over that. And there's a vine there in the way. And I better, I better not. And, and, he, and he circumambulated the field and he brought the milk back to Vishnu. And he said, here's your glass of milk, Vishnu. And Vishnu said, did you spill any? And Narad said, no, Vishnu, I didn't spill a drop. And Vishnu said, how many times did you say my name? And Narad said, Vishnu, I was paying attention to the milk, so I wouldn't spill a drop, because I wanted you to drink the milk, and you told me not to spill the milk. And Vishnu said, how many times did you say my name? And Narad said, I, I, I didn't say your name at all. And Vishnu said, you mean you were carrying one glass of milk around a field and you didn't say my name once? And that farmer is taking care of a wife and five kids and supporting this community, and he said my name twice? <laughs> and that's why he is the greatest devotee. Yes, we have a question from Vish. Yes, Mr. Vish. Where do all the thoughts come from? <laughs> <laughs> The thoughts come from all of our Vimarsh, all the experience that we have. Every Pratuksh, every Pratyoy, every Prakash is translated into Mon, Buddhi, Chitta, and Ahamkar. Who had that experience? I did. 
How did you like that experience? Well, it, it had its pluses and its minuses. That's my subjective thought. What was the experience about? That was my objective thought. Put them all together. Well, that's the collection of my recollection. And that's where the thoughts come from. They are written in the chitta. So, is this discussion why Ramakrishna said it's always safest to keep the identity of a child of the mother? Well, this is only part of the discussion. We're only up to chapter four. Wait a minute, it gets even heavier and heavier. It gets more intense. We're going to go through all the principles of the tattva again in verse form. I distilled it into a sutra, like Tapvagyan, into an outline form just to make it digestible and palatable so that we could study it in order. But this is the poetic form. And we have the same principles included here in the Devi Gita that we do in the chapters of the, in the, in the, the, the entire process of Again. And we have the one that became two. Here we're calling the one Maya. But that Maya includes Sadashiva and Shakti. And the two became three in Kamakala. And the three became four in Dharma, Artha, Kama, Moksha. And the four became five in the five faces of Shiva. And they became six in the six centers of the body. And the six chakras. And the sevens became the seven levels of consciousness. And the eight became the eight Siddhis. And the nine became the nine Durgas. And the ten became the ten protectors of the ten directions. And the eleven forms of Rudra and the twelve sons of Aditi and <laughs> so, I'll be polite yes please Samiji uh, had uh, wanted to get better understanding of verse 31 yes please where it says the universal soul contains all individual souls yes is it like uh, the Paramatman all the Jivatmans are inside yes Yes, that is just how it is. Like the Paramatma is the supreme soul which contains, of which every Vyakti, every Jivo, is a part of that Paramatma. It has the same gun, it has the same quality, it has the same upadi, it has the same uh, uh, ka, it has the same attributes, it has the same characteristics, it has the same divisions, but it's a portion. It's not the whole. So within each individual resides all of the characteristics of the Supreme Soul, except in limited form. Uh, and that's the meaning of it. And Samadhi, then you say the subtle body expresses the Supreme Consciousness. Yes. The subtle body is what our... Uh, your subtle body, all of our thoughts, all of our... Uh, everything that's bhyakti. Now, in our causal body, we are of the Purush. And everything that's bhakti, that's limiting that Purush according to the 24 principles of Prakriti, uh, my bhakti nature, my antakar, which is different from your antakar, my totality of subjective and objective experience and all recollection, and my ego is a little bit different from yours. Just a little. 
Although I try to make them in alignment, it's still a little bit different. I'm sitting here and you're sitting there. <laughs> so the, at least there's that much difference in our location and our experience. I was born here and you were born there and I grew up with this language and you grew up with that one. And there are distinctions, differences, but the subtle body is the expression of that, that prakriti. Huh? So that individual soul is coming through the subtle body according to the basanas and the sanskaras and the tendencies and the attributes of this individual life. So that's what it's referring to. Yes, please. We were talking about the, the pragna, the tejas and the vishwa. Yes, please. And you were, Did you say that pragna was the gross body and... Uh, and that Vishwa was the causal body or the other way around? The other way around. The other way around. Um, so I guess my question was, um, when you're talking about the universal body, like what Rami was just talking about, um, are we, is our, uh, is our Purush always uh, one with that universal body? And is, um, uh, I guess, are the rest of our samskaras and all those things like that, do they also reside within that universal body? No, the samskaras and the basanas attach themselves to our purush, which is distinguished from the universal body because of five kanchukas, five limitations of perception, five limitations of consciousness, which are time, space, uh, activity, uh, knowledge, and attribute. These are the five kanchuks which, which define or distinguish the purush from the vishwatma or paramatma. So the purush is the individual form of the paramatma. But he's different because you are there and I am here. He's different because you are then and I am now. He's different because you're doing that and I'm doing this. He's different because I am known by this name and you are known by that name. And he's different because you have certain attributes and I have other distinctive attributes. So because of those five kanchukas or five limitations, then we are known as different beings. But if you take away all the individuality, then the essence within is the supreme. The Supreme Soul resides in that form as it does in this form. And that's just what the text is telling us. Yes, please. Samji, in verse 41, yes, please. it says that the vital airs yes. they hold and support the mind. That's right. Uh, prana, apana, jnana, udana, samana. These punch prana. Five vital breaths or vital airs or air in the form of these five distinctive forms. Uh, they support the mind because the, we said uh, we go from the Anamaya Kosh to the Pranamaya Kosh. And from the Pranamaya Kosh to the Manamaya Kosh. So now, oh, if you don't breathe, you're not going to think. So you're inhaling all of the information from the outer world. And then it's coming into your senses. And then if you stop inhaling, you're going to stop thinking very quickly. <laughs> Please don't stop inhaling. 
But he, so the breath, the prana, is the life force, which is allowing your mind to function. Without oxygen, you're not, you're not going to remember too much. <laughs> you will forget very quickly. So in this way, the, 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 they are holding and supporting this antakaran. This antakaran is dependent upon the panchprana. Yes, please. We have a question from Julia. Namaste, Julia Ma. From pages 86 and 78, what were the four images of the Vedas in the image of Hreem? Well, the four images, the, the, the Vedas in the image of Hreem are Rig Veda, Yaja Veda, Sama Veda, and Atharva Veda. And the four Vedas were divided into four different parts. That was Samhita, Brahmana, Oranyak, and Upanishad. So now we have the four Vedas divided into four parts. And these are the all standing besides mother and they're singing her praises. Because what do the Vedas say? The, the Vedas say celebrate the supreme soul. <laughs> so that's what they are saying. The four Vedas are praising the divine mother, Mahamaya. Do you remember Mahamaya Maheshwari? Mahakali is the great uh, uh, who takes away the time, who is beyond time. She is who is beyond time. She is uh, the, the she removes all the darkness. She is the great seer of all.
Yes, it does. <laughs> it sure does. She is the manifestation of consciousness. She is Chinmoy. She is the, the, the embodiment of all consciousness. Right. Very, very beautiful. Thank, Thank you, Srima. Thank you. Mm -hmm. A question from Jaymar James. <laughs> Namaste, Jaymar James. Are all, are all aspects of Mahamaya eternal, such as the various ones in that song? Yes, <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> they are all eternal. And they are eternally embodied within each of us. And we are their express representative so far as we manifest their activities on this earth. We represent them. Uh, she is Mahamaya Maheshwari. She is the great measurement of consciousness and the great seer of all and the great ruler of all. And all of her attitudes and attributes are manifest throughout her creation in every atom of existence. It, when we recognize that, when we remember that, when we see that, when we experience that, when we feel that, and Everything we do is touched by divinity, for divinity, with divinity. We respect our every action. Every action becomes the manifestation of our love and respect for the goddess. Please. We have a question from Ambika. Namaste, Ambika. This path requires so much concentration and work with our mind. What do you suggest for people with disabilities of their mind? Where can they start? What can we do to help them? Oh, all you need is love. We just start with love. And we, you, all of these are ways that people who can't keep their minds still and focused on their loves, they, we can talk ourselves into a love affair. And that's why they're giving us this vocabulary for all the states and steps. How do you move your awareness into the presence of that divinity, which is um, uh, ubiquitous, which is omnipresent, which is everywhere in all time in an infinite existence. Now we're going to talk ourselves into it because you know, we're pretty dull and inert. Just like Himalaya called himself, he said, I'm such a dull, inert fellow, how can, how can it be that I will become the, the father of the Divine Mother? How could it be? What could I have possibly done to become honored so, to become the father of the Divine Mother? And so he's saying to Divine Mother, how do I create an environment which is conducive to you to accomplish the objectives of your manifestation. Now, if you come into manifestation and say, I just want to be a lover of life, then I'm going to give you a playground in which you can play and you can be a lover of life and you don't have to memorize all of this vocabulary. But if you forget, these are tools by which you can remember Ambika. If you forget, 
These are tools which exist, and knowing that there are tools gives you a greater degree of empowerment. So long as you remember, you have no need of the tools. The tools are only for those of us who forget. The person who knows that they are liberated, what need do they have to practice freedom from, liber from bondage? They're already liberated. They don't need practices. Look at Srima. But we should not give storage house that tool. <laughs> Mother says, don't give a storage house to those tools. <laughs> uh, just look in your storage rooms and see well, how much stuff you stored up. <laughs> Mom likes us to go in and clean our garage. <laughs> Yes, please. We have a question from Julia. Yes, Julia, Ma. I have a friend who is in the last stages of dying. Observing and being with her, I find similarities to the process that I have been going through over the years, the subtle changes, being Ma and your devotee. Can you talk about this? I'll bet you can talk about it much, much more freely than I can. You are the one who is undergoing the changes and experiencing these subtle steps of evolution. Uh, certainly, I know that all of us who are engaged in spiritual life and dedicated to spiritual practices will look back from time to time and say, Ooh, wow, did I come from there? <laughs> Was I thinking those things and desiring those, that kind of life then? Boy, I've come a distance. But looking at ourselves in the present day. We're just here in the present. <laughs> there's nothing to say that there's anything different for me, except I'm just here now. So I'll bet you can address those issues much more efficiently than I can, Julie. We have a question from Chandana in Portland. Namaste, Chandana. This one is a backlog, but... That's okay. The son of the Rishi, uh, the Rishi's son, who cursed the king because he put the snake around right. his neck. Did he get bad karma for cursing the king? No, he did not. He did not get bad karma. The father did say, hey son, you don't have to go around cursing kings. But that's not the attribute of a Brahmin. The attribute of a Brahmin is forgiveness. And you should have forgiven him. But what you've said is, is also true. So I can't scold you too badly because he did show disrespect to a Rishi who was meditating. So he did not get bad karma from it, but uh, it wasn't the ultimate behavior that the father wanted from his son. Yes, please. A lot of these terms like pragya and... Um, and Tejas and, and, and They all seem to uh, allude to vocabulary terms that we've already gone, gone over. Um, what distinguishes them from stula, sukshma, and um, you know, and all these other terms for the you know prataksh, pratyai, and um, prakash? Uh, they are they are all in the same genre, except these refer to a specific uh, pragya is the highest wisdom, taijas is illumination, and virat is being one with the universal body. So these are different ways of saying, uh, in the gross body you get a prataksh, in the subtle body you get a pratyai, in the causal body you get a prakash. They're all uh, different ways or different attributes of the same type of application of consciousness. Uh, 
There are not such subtle distinctions, especially in English. Now, as you meditate and as you go deeper and deeper into the application of the text, you're going to find that there is a difference between the mode of perception and the object of perception. But right now, intellectually, it, it, it's synonymous. Please. I wanted to ask a follow-up question to Chandanas. Please. So, do Rishi's sages, including Durvasa and everyone else, only curse people when they have it coming to them? Bad karma? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not necessarily bad karma. <laughs> I mean, remember when uh, Gautam Rishi cursed Ahalia and said, you'll become a stone. And there she sat for thousands of years saying, Rama, 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 Rama. And thousands of years later, Ram came and sat down on the stone. <laughs> and he put his foot on the stone and the stone turned into a woman. And the woman was Ahalia. And Ahalia looked into the face of Ram and said, oh, I thought he cursed me, and yet it was the greatest blessing that he could have ever given to me. I get to look into the face of God. What, what greater blessing could my husband have given to me than the privilege to have darshan ahori? Is it possible? Could he have given me a greater blessing? And the reality is, all throughout the literature, every curse turned into the greatest blessing. Every time any individual was cursed, ultimately they felt, oh, I got such a blessing. I am the benefactor of that curse. That's the difference between a Rishi's curse and the curse of any Tom, Dick, or Harry. <laughs> or a witch. <laughs> Ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch, oh witch, the wicked witch. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. <laughs> she gave curses. We have a question from Elijah. Yes, Elijah, namaste. In verse 44, it says that Ishwar reflects Maya. Can you explain that a little more? How exactly does consciousness reflect manifested existence? What does consciousness perceive? Consciousness perceives duality. The embodiment, the measurement of consciousness, the object of consciousness is perceived by consciousness. Consciousness is perceiver. The object of consciousness is the perceived. That's called duality. Now, in verse 44, he says, uh, Iswara, who perceives all, he reflects this maya. That's the prakash. And thus, he reflects all existence. So, the supreme consciousness reflects all existence. He perceives all existence. The individual consciousness perceives the limited existence according to your perception according to your paradigm of reality, according to your capacity, you will perceive what you see in this creation. That's what it means. Yes, please. Uh, yes, please. Swamiji, so uh, in verse uh, 43, yes, please. It, it says we should take, ref we take refuge in her, Maya. Yes. And in 44, taking refuge in Ishwar. So is it 
the same thing yep. because Mahamaya is Ishwa. Is Ishwa. So they're using the terms interchangeably. Uh, sometimes they're calling him her, and sometimes they're calling her him, and sometimes they're calling them it. <laughs> but it is one and the same. It is Maya, it is Ishwar, it is Sadashiv, it is Shakti. When the two come together, it is Ishwar. And it's either Ardhanar Ishwar or Ardhanari Ishwar. So you can call it any way you want to. It doesn't admit of, of gender. It's not a relationship with a gender. It's a relationship with a supreme consciousness, which allows us, empowers us to perceive. It does both. Energy and consciousness united together. We are empowered to perceive. And that's the, 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 the maya of existence is the one maya in harmony with her own self. So she is consciousness. She is nature. She is the perceiver. She is the object of perception. Yes, please. We have another question from Vish. Yes, Vish. In verse 35, from the sattva guna of the five elements, the ears and various organs are formed. What is formed from the other two gunas? Oh, we, we just talked about that. In, uh, the Gyanindriyas are formed from the Sattva Guna, and the Karmindriyas are formed from Rajaguna, and the Antakaran uh, was formed from Tamagun, the inner cause. Rajaguna forms, uh, and uh, uh, the. Uh, and, uh, that's it. I'm right. <laughs> you want to argue or refute send me an email yes please we have a question from Ambika yes Ambika namaste uh, back in relation to the uh, names of the Shakti Peets yes if our belief is to chant these names and memorial services for someone but it is not the belief of that person should we still do it or absolutely or do we the rituals that they believed in well, you do what they believed in and then do what you believe in on top of it then you're covering all your bases. Don't take a chance at offending anyone. <laughs> fulfill their desire, fulfill the desire of your community. If you live in a, a, in a Latin-speaking community, do it in Latin. If you do it, live in a Hebrew-speaking community, do it in Hebrew. If you live in a Sanskrit-speaking commu community, do it in Sanskrit. And then do your own thing. Whatever is your thing, whatever is your true devotion, express your devotion and your sense of privilege at having had such a relationship with a departed soul. That departed soul helped to prepare the way to get you to where you are today. We are like the little balls bouncing around in a pinball machine. And we bounce against this soul and that soul and this soul and that soul. And they all helped us get to where we are right now. And so I want to turn around to every one of those souls. Whether they're here in the room or somewhere in the ground or we burned them already and they're rising to heaven. I want to say thank you all of you. Any part that you had in pointing me to the right path to the appropriate trajectory so that I can reach my end game. Just like that ball in the pinball machine. I want to say every bumper, you bump me in the right way. You rub me in the right way. Thank you. I got to my goal. And whatever part you played in getting me there, namaste. I appreciate it.
Yes, please. How does understanding the Panchakritya help us in meditation? It will help us by understanding that nothing is separable. It, nothing is a pure element in itself. There is no only Gyan, and there is no only Bhakti, and I'm not following the path of karma. I'm a karma yogi. He's a Bhakta yogi. He's a, he's, he's a this and he's a that. Stop all of these distinctions and discrimination and, and separation. And spirituality is holistic spirituality. It's about tearing down walls. It's not building up walls. Uh, you know, you know we, we say in, in Bengali, when you plant a new plant, you, you put a little fence around it so the cow won't step on it or the goat won't eat it. And when it sinks its roots deep and becomes a big tree, you can tie your elephant to it without a second thought. Now you gotta, you gotta be elephants. <laughs> <laughs> Sink your roots deep and be, tear down all the walls and tear down all the fences and don't worry about the, the cows and the goats. Uh, become the, the big tree with deep roots and you can tie your elephant. You'll be the elephant. You can't move, pull that tree down. Spirituality is about understanding the interconnectedness of all. It's about tearing down all the walls and all the divisions and all the sampradayas and all the, all the religions and all the divisions and all the stuff that's going on in people's craziness. We don't need it. We're spiritual beings. We only, we want holistic spirituality. Spirituality, the God that's in me is the same as the God that's in you. And your God is not different from my God. Your language may be different, and I'll try to learn as much of your language as I possibly can, but your, your God isn't different. <laughs> the way you talk about your God may be a little different. Somebody bows down, somebody sits in a chair, but you, you're, the God isn't different. The spirit isn't different. This panchakritya processes that no element, no atom of existence is different it's, it's all one and the same. It's holistic spirituality. And that's what this is about. That's what the Devi Gita is teaching us. This Panchakritya, understanding how every element of existence is, can't survive without the others. So if someone does have an exclusive idea of God that my God's right and yours is wrong, can they still realize God? And if so, why doesn't God tell them that all the gods are me? <laughs> <laughs> Every one of us understands what we want to understand. <laughs> and I am codifying and classifying and filtering the information that I get. Maybe God is saying, hey, I'm the God of everybody. I'm not just your God. But I don't want to listen to that. I want to have a holy jihad, and I'm going to say that you have this, the choice. Uh, you, you can do it my way or the highway. <laughs> Oh, from the beginning of recorded history, we find, unfortunately,
unfortunately, that the Ashuras have been imposing their will upon others in many ways of duality, proclaiming themselves to be the knowledgeable ones, and I am the only one whose opinion counts. And I have the force to make you obey my opinion. And whether you like it or not, you will agree with me. Or we have confrontation. Unfortunately, that is the history of humanity. Now, here are a handful of sadhus on a mountaintop. And we are teaching a doctrine of holistic spirituality where all of us are wholly integrated. We are Purushas, our heads are Brahmins, our arms are Kshatriyas, our thighs are Vaishya, and our feet are Shudra, and we are Purush. Whole, full, completely integrated human beings who can perform every function. Tell that to a Brahmin in Banaras. <laughs> I'm a Purush. <laughs> no, 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 I'm Brahman. <laughs> You are Shudra Pariah, and you're an, you're, you have no class at all. <laughs> you're outcast. And therefore, you should give me a donation, and I'll give you a blessing. <laughs> and if you're gullible enough to accept, you'll pay the guy just to get him off your back. That's not the religion we're propagating. We're propagating this doctrine of holy spirituality in which all of us are fully and completely integrated with one another physically mentally spiritually on every level in the gross body the subtle body the causal body it's one creation we got one mother and there she is Om Sam Sarasvati in the Maha Namaste.